What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the UX Rant Podcast. I am your host, Blake Arnsdorf. I'm a UX designer and researcher located in beautiful San Diego. And here, we're going to talk about all things UX going on each week, every Friday, breaking down methodologies, articles, talks, whatever it may be that's going on in the world of user experience, aka UX. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Welcome again, guys. This is the UX Rant Podcast, and I am your host. Like I said earlier, my name is Blake Armsdorf, and I am coming at you live and direct from my standing desk. (laughs) So I hope everybody's week has been great and off to a nice weekend coming up ahead, and that you've been able to flex your design and creative muscles to create some awesome experiences this week. So first off, this is the first episode of this podcast called the UX Rant Podcast. So let's tackle some housekeeping items like, you know, what is this podcast about? Why do you want to listen to it? Who's it for? And maybe it's important to know who I am. I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about it a little bit. So first, though, finishing off the last of this Trader Joe's pumpkin coffee. So sad to see October go. As you can see behind me, I've got some uh, some stranger things going on. We're doing it from Will's living room right now. Uh Girlfriend liked it so much, and so did I, that we're going to leave it up for a few more days, even though we're in November. All right, let's get this coffee in, and let's go. All righty. So this podcast is really meant to be a place to talk about all things user experience, things that go on during the week at work for me, things that go on during the week at work for guests that I potentially will have on, I hope. And so just to really talk about like what are, what popular articles are there out there right now? Are there new de- design techniques or even prototyping software coming out? What do I what do we think about them? Are they any good? Should we use them? Thought processes like design thinking cuz this is different in every company. What's it like? How are people using it? What can we do to improve upon it? Job advice if you need it. I'm definitely in need of a little bit of it sometimes, so I hope I can help you out too. So whatever We'll talk about whatever, as long as it has to do with the world of user experience design. So really, who is this podcast for? It's, that's truly a great question, right? So here's what I, what I see this podcast as and my goals for it. So I want to create a community of UX designers that can get together and share experiences in their work projects, their creative projects, just life endeavors in general, so that we can continually learn and grow together. Because I know when I struggled jumping into UX, I found that I had a hard time finding resources. A lot of that has obviously changed over the past few years. Resources are all over the internet, but it's different to form relationships and have kind of a network of people you can access across the across the United States and hopefully across the globe that we can talk about different things going on in UX in a constructive way. And that's the second part of this podcast. I'm really looking for another way just to 
be a positive voice in the community of user experience. I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of tearing down of ideas or heavy critiques, and that has its place for sure. But I want to create an environment where people can come have conversations that need to be had without throwing the negative spin at everything. So, like I said, I had struggled with jumping into user experience, so a little bit about who I am. So, my background is actually in human factor psychology, so I have a research background where I would typically take what I know about psychology and what I learned in school about human behavior and also human performance in complex systems. So a lot of the ways I describe this to people that haven't heard of human factors or they're into UX and haven't heard of human factors, human factors psychology and the methodology behind the research is really what's propping up a lot of the ideas in UX about doing user experience research, meeting with people before you design products, understanding their needs, their challenges, what they're looking for in a new product or an existing product. And a lot of the usability testing methodology, whether it be this guerrilla style of going to a coffee shop with a prototype or an idea and talking to people about it, or actually doing real like two-way mirror usability testing, that a lot of that is rooted in human factor psychology methodology. So that's where my background really comes from. And I made the switch from doing much more research-oriented projects into because I wanted to see the end result, right? So a lot of times I would be contracted to work on projects from a research perspective, hand it off to companies and never know what happened with it. Never know, was it applied? Did it work? Did you actually see an ROI in the work that we did? Or did your conversion rates change? Did people want to use your product? Did they hate it afterwards? Uh, so I actually wanted to do both of... This mic is just doing one of these on me. But I wanted to do both. I wanted to do the research aspect of things, really getting and connecting with people and the products they use, the services, the, even the organizations they build. <laughs> this mic is crazy. To understand them as people, but also get my hands dirty in doing the physical design. And I have a very deep passion for web development products. So I love writing HTML JavaScript, CSS, to build things. I just like solving problems that way. So it, UX design seemed like a great way to marry my human factors research skills into my desire to design and build products. So that's kind of how I got here. So why do you want to even listen to this podcast? Well, I'll be breaking down some of the big current topics in UX every week. And I mean, the hope is that I'm going to build a community around this UX rant podcast where we can talk to each other, ask questions, get answers, get help, career advice, life advice, creative, creative inspiration advice, anything like that. But most of all, I just want to get a bunch of UX designers, people that are interested in user experience design together to have a little bit of fun every Friday. Maybe blow off some steam, listen to some goofy stories that I have or my friends that are UX, UX designers that come on the show will have and just have a good time. Shoot the shit a little bit. It's a, it's a Friday. It's a wonderful time to recap what's gone on during the week in terms of UX, job work, all that kind of stuff. So in doing so, let's kick it off into the actual segment of the podcast. That was just an intro bit because it's the first podcast. I really wanted to kind of explain the idea of why, why you're even here or why I'm even doing this podcast if anybody's there. So here is a segment that I want to call the weekly shout outs. So this is going to be 
people in the user experience or design community that have inspired me throughout the week. And I hope that they can do the same for you. So first up, I want to shout out and I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I might say his name wrong. James Rahunt. Rahunt. R-A-U-H-U-T. You can find him on Twitter at C James Code. That's C as in visual C James Code on Twitter. And also Sam Winslet. So he is at the underscore Winslet on Twitter. And these guys gave a very awesome design talk from Envision this week. It was a webinar and they both work for IBM and they're designers from different design backgrounds. So one is a strictly visual designer, I think is how it started. And the other was a print designer. And it was really an awesome talk centered around having to adapt and understand the applying the skills that you have from being a visual designer into the digital space and really what it means to do that. So having to work with your development team much more closely, understanding the importance of really understanding the development environment, because I don't know, but I've definitely been there, especially early in my career, where I would go out, I, I would do all the right things, I thought at least, I would go talk to users, get their needs, understand what they really needed from this service or product I was developing, but I would come to find that I would come up with these designs with my team to hand it off to a development team. Because before I had actually worked where it was I was kind of the separate entity from the development team. So there was not as much great cohesion or interaction between the two. But now you get to the problem of you're handing off a design. But because the technology they're using, the development environment does not allow for this this specific function or this design to even be built now you've just spent a whole lot of time money effort on something that can't even be created by the development team feasibly so they have to find workarounds you're sacrificing the experience then because you're just trying to make something work much less trying to design like a pristine great experience for other people so these guys from ibm james and sam both talked about a lot of awesome tools that you can add to your design kit for understanding the performance UX. And what they meant by this was what happens when somebody uses the app the first time, in this case, a web application, and what happens times after that. Really focusing on what happens when that application is calling an API to gather data, how long it takes, and ways you can make your experience better for people the first time they visit and the second time they visit and times after that. Using tools within Chrome's development tool set as well as Safari's development tools to understand, okay, my application is calling this information out, but it's taking forever to load. And so people are now here and they can't see what they came here for. Like on a news website, if you're using it from like a mobile experience, you might notice that the first time you ever load that website, it's really slow. You might not even see some of the content load at all. And their talk was about how to understand one, the development environment, its importance, how better to work with developers, but also different strategies to tackle building your web apps or applications in general that will allow people on their first time to be interested in that one second they have to really get hooked, right? Because that's that's kind of like a Google theory or working idea, right? You have about one second to grab people's attention. And if you're one second, the first time somebody visits your mobile app or mobile experience, 
is waiting for things to load and they don't see anything that they are looking for, they're out of there. You're done. You're toast. There's nothing you can do. So I really, really encourage everybody to go check out that Envision Design Talk. It's on their YouTube page and I will make sure to leave a link in the description. Um, again, this is Sam Rawhunt. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, dude, but this is at C James Code on Twitter and Sam Winslet uh, at the Winslet at the underscore Winslet on Twitter. Two great guys, really good talk. I encourage you to check out those that Envision Design talk on YouTube. Uh, I'll probably dive into some of the more details of the talk and maybe some of the tools later later on in the show. We'll see how long this first one runs and make a decision then. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants right now. It's not too bad. Okay, and the second and final shout-out of the week goes to a fabulous man, Mr. Nick Rome. That's Nick R-O-O-M-E. So Nick Rome is actually my, he's my host, I'm the co-host of another podcast that's all about human factor psychology and design in tech news. So we do a weekly podcast on Monday nights, breaking down the human factors applications of new technology on a podcast called Human Factors Cast. Um, If you want to learn more about psychology and design and human factors in general, it's a great place to check it out, um, or it's a great place to learn. Nick is an amazing guy he inspires me every week to to push harder do more fun stuff on the show find interesting tech stories to talk about and then apply my like human factors and design mindset to talking about those stories like what's really the application here how could people take a design or take a new technology and think about it in their problem space um like i said his name is nick rome you can find him at Nick underscore Rome. That's R O O M E on Twitter and LinkedIn. Same thing. Nick underscore Rome. And please, if you, if you're interested in human factors or psychology and the application of design in general, check out human factors cast. We're on all podcast directories, yada, yada, yada. All right. That's enough. Inspirational shout outs from all of these guys loving the stuff they've, they've do week to week, month to month, year to year. So, that's it for the shout outs. Let's actually get into talking some UX topics this week. All right. So I don't know how, how I even came across this. I actually am the marketing director for a user experience professionals or professionals organization called user experience professionals association, the LA chapter. Ta-da. Uh, so part of my job is definitely is tweeting out social media, getting, Uh, stories out and about so people can interact with them so we have more back and forth with our community and i came across two articles from two really heavy hitters this week one is much older so bear with me on that but one is from don norman so it's him talking about kind of apple's design and what his opinions are about the design itself how he, he thinks it's being negatively impacted and it's not the same as when he was there and just some of the implications of that. But the first one I want to get into is actually from another heavy hitter. Excuse me. The first one I want to get into is actually from another heavy hitter, and this is Alan Cooper. So most of you probably know him from the About Facebook if you're big in design. Uh, I think there's like three or four version heat versions. He's really well known for interaction design or user-centered design, right? And the article was on Medium, and it's called The Endless Battle. So subtitle, user-centered design versus design-centered design. 
And this is kind of the theme that I'm going to jump into this week, this idea of user-centered design versus design-centered design, because design. I see this all over Twitter. I see this in like a lot of articles that I read. It's a conversation that I feel like I'm always having with my colleagues. So let's, let's just jump into some of the ideas presented in Mr. Cooper's article. So he talks a little bit about the problem with what what's going on in user experience or what he calls interaction, prefers to call interaction design, is there's, of course, the conundrum of we, we just can't seem to agree on what to call our tools, our processes, our objectives, our responsibilities, or even our titles in the same fashion. Like there's, there's UX designer, there's interaction designer. Some places that means you're, you're completely doing different things. Other times design, UX designers do the full gamut of doing research, doing the design to even really helping push out, um, you know, like PSD files that the development team's going to make. Like it can mean something in different, different spaces, but the big, big part of his article is really focused on the fact that this iterate and prototype methodology is kind of broken from his perspective. And I, and I remember the first time I read this article, I was a little confused because I was like, well, well, what do you mean? How else can you really get a product that you understand when you understand the needs of a potential customer base or an opportunity to fill a space in like a, a particular, you know, customer setting, what do you mean you shouldn't iterate and prototype or why is that not good? And it took me reading the article twice to really get what he's, what he was driving at. So just to, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. So he talks a lot about how in HCI, so in human computer interaction, usability testing was the big thing, right? Which makes a lot of sense. It gives you a lot of insights into how people use products. And it also, once you're bored down from an engineering perspective or even a design perspective when you're stuck like being bored down on a project for so long you you need to like step back and let other people use it and get a better idea of like okay am i designing even in the right direction so that was kind of what usability tests were definitely originally put out to do collect data on how people are using the product use that information and analysis to really improve that product in any way you can but this is expensive and it takes a lot of time, which makes a lot of sense if it's really strict usability testing. So if we're talking about getting people to a two-way mirror room, paying them, taking the time to run studies, do data, all of that stuff. So then again, I had this thought of, well, okay, well, that makes even more sense why this prototype and test thing or paradigm works really well because it's, it's cheaper. You could do it with paper uh, you don't have to have nearly as much staffing for it. You can probably do it with at a minimal like skeleton of two two separate people, one taking notes, one person kind of running through all of the tests. You can use surveys to help you supplement. You can analyze it faster. There, there just seems like there's all of these benefits. But from from what I gleaned, because I don't want to push my understanding on anybody, but what I gleaned from the article is... The problem that he really sees right now with this prototype test, prototype test, prototype test idea is that people are too often running to doing just the prototype. Like without without going talking to users, really understanding the problem space, like people are getting into getting into organizations and they run right to 
drawing something. Which I don't think necessarily is wrong in every instance, but what he was arguing, and I have to agree with, is there's a just lack of overall doing the the user experience research portion, meeting with people, conveying the actual idea, trying to understand the problem space you're in, what's your customer like, what products do they use, what are your competitors like, what are your indirect competitors like, what are they doing in the space that's going to like allow you an opportunity to dive in there was just this overarching theme that people too quickly are jumping into just doing the actual prototype and testing it versus really putting that backup research. Like what's informing your does the design of your prototype, just some in your head knowledge or what you think needs to go into it or what your team think needs to go into it. Um, so it was an interesting take for sure on really the processes that we use and so here's the second tier, and, and that's this the difference between doing user-centered design versus design-centered design. So focusing really on what's in the designer's mind, kind of the, the validation of what they're coming up with from a design perspective, how like in this test and prototype paradigm, you're just, you're building something because it's what based off of what you know from the team and maybe from your own intuitions from past projects, you are building something and then you test it to eat. See, this is where I get a little bit confused because if you, even if you develop a, a new app, right. And it's based off of a lot of what you thought, like trying to maybe solve a problem that you have, right. Well, if you test it, it should illuminate problems with either your complete idea or the design or the workflow it, that you're trying to force a user to go through. But I think what's happening here is, from my understanding of the article, that he, when he's talking about there's this problem with design-centered design, is I think when they go to test it, that either they're making the tests kind of fall out in their favor, so more so of walking people through their design so they under, they have a better understanding and by biasing people, they're having better outcomes for their design or just adding, incrementally adding to what they created in the first place. And it's not really that honest feedback from a brand new set of people for the first time jumping into trying to use your product for what it's meant for. And then there's another fold to this. So this would be tier three, right? The other fold is there. there's a giant emphasis on how beautiful something is, which we have a lot of amazing tools to make things really beautiful. I mean, we have Sketch, we've got Photoshop, of course, and different Adobe products. But then, I mean, now we, we've even got a lot of web-based tools because I, I like to do front-end web development, and there's plenty of things that I can do with CSS to make something look beautiful or even interact awesome uh, with the addition of JavaScript and CSS integrating together. But the real problem, I think, what they're, about what they're talking about is, is people end up designing these beautiful prototypes or beautiful UIs or systems that are not functional. They're not meant to actually perform the tasks that they were supposed to be designed for. They don't meet customers' needs. They just look really good. Um, and, so, and so to kind of just bring it all back together, I think, from my perspective, the prototype and test idea... I think it's valid and I think that people should do it, but I totally understand the need to go and do the research to understand the product space 
before you start building anything. Because I do agree with Alan Cooper that there is a serious expense to doing this, uh, especially if it's like people coding it. Um, I go back and forth with that one a little bit because it, it definitely depends on the development environment. I personally like to web develop a lot of my stuff that I build prototype wise. I mean, of course, I start with paper, but eventually it's I'm going to build some kind of web application because that's the space that I like to work in. And so there's benefit for me when I actually build and test. Um, but I totally agree that there is a definite need for, you know, getting your hands dirty with people and going and talking to them so you know what you're even trying to build or if your product idea is going to meet the needs of anybody at all. Um, so that's that's kind of my take on it. I thought it's an awesome article. Again, it's called, sorry, The Endless Battle. So user-centered versus design-centered. And I think it's something for all UX designers and anybody interested in user experience or web development to think about. Really, are you are you solving somebody's problem and are you doing it from their perspective or are you just designing something that looks cool uh, in hopes that it'll be used? Um, Because I think there's a a major difference between those two. And so jumping into the Don Norman article. All right, so this is is on, what is it? Fastcodedesign.com. It's older, but it's something I wanted to talk about on UX Rant just because it's, it's, it's big in the space for sure. So it's, it's titled How Apple is Giving Design a Bad Name, which he goes on to argue that ever since Apple's like switched to gestural interfaces, so away from the, the desktop computing space, but more into the, the touchscreen of your tablets, your iPhones, any of that kind of stuff, they, they tossed out key design principles that really made their products integral, wonderful to use, um, those kinds of things. And I don't know about, I don't know. I have, I definitely have an iPhone, but my reasoning for it is so I can FaceTime with some family, but also I love the camera and the iPhone 7 Plus. Let me know if you use an iPhone or an Android, either one. The thing about it is, is I, I know anybody that is using an iPhone that had recent experience with it is going to know that a couple, uh, I would say maybe a month ago now, there was a design release that apparently had been beta tested and there was just design inconsistencies everywhere. And so I, w- I want to encourage a little back and forth about this. So if anybody is interested in giving me their opinions, please hit me up on Twitter at don't panic UX and uh, use the hashtag UX rant pod. That's UX rant pod. But yeah, I mean, so when I saw this, it, it made me confused that this was coming from Apple, right? Because I, I don't know. I've held their kind, their designs in high regard, right? I, I've used, a, I mean, I'm using a MacBook Pro, an older one to be that, uh, to record the podcast right now. I have an iPhone. I really have not had problems with their products. And to see all those crazy design inconsistencies and then the uproar about it, at first I was, I was pretty floored, right? Because we're like seeing articles from a beta tester about like, oh, there's all the all these sorts of weird, like, misaligned labels, strange, strange, like, headings, just different small visual things all over the place. But then when I thought about it later, I, I couldn't really bring myself to stay upset about it because, one, 
I don't, I don't know. I gave the, this is an excuse, but this is one that I thought was somewhat valid. I mean, we're they're in the middle of the launch of the next phone. Things fall through the cracks. Timelines get pushed. Anybody that's ever worked in a production environment, uh, I feel like you can somewhat sympathize. But at the same time, that's not good for their brand. Totally, totally get that. But the other thing that I thought about was a lot of the, the problems from my perspective. Now, I learned later this wasn't 100% true. But a lot of the stuff I was seeing in articles that were coming out and on Twitter, it was visual. Which visual is important, but it wasn't affecting the functionality of the phone. Um, now, later people had informed me, because I had gone on Twitter kind of ranting about this myself, that, yeah, they had removed some of the kind of hidden features uh, that Apple includes, kind of like the 3D touch, stuff like that. So, that's an awesome segue back to Don Norman's point, is that he, from his perspective, and in this particular article from On Design Co., Apple, once Apple moved to this gestural-based territory, they really dropped a lot of their key design principles. And what we're talking about here specifically is discoverability. Like I, the reason I didn't realize that a couple of key functions were missing was because I didn't know they existed. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ever found them unless I'd gone on the internet and looked like, Hey, what's 3d touch on the Apple iPhone? What does it do? Those kind of things. And so now in the design of their products, they're missing this discoverability component. They've, taken a lot of the recoverability and some of the feedback elements out of their designs. Now, I'm not completely sure about the feedback element, although I will say I've had a lot of problems like using some of the more native application software and some of the interactions when you want to use your own homegrown software if you want to use some something from Google instead of something Apple produces. And that's a pain point for me, for sure. And it might be a pain point for other people where Apple wants to force you to use their integrated native products where maybe they're not the best or maybe there's a better solution out there for you. And so he got, Don Omer goes on to talk about that they began shipping systems that have that people have a difficulty learning and using. So they get away with it because people just don't catch those problems until it's too late and they just can't, they've already spent the money and it's in their hands and they have to figure out how to use it. And that's just not really what Apple's all about when it was built. And so I can totally see this, this, his perspective here um, because you, you're spending a lot of money on these phones and you want something that is designed for you to be able to use and learn all the, all the tricks behind it. Um, do I think that they are necessarily destroying design? No, I mean, I, th- I think you have, you have to have companies like Apple and Google to try and push some of the innovation, innovative limits. But I do agree that they're abandoning, they have abandoned some of the more important design principles that used to be part of their kind of like, if you will, style guide. And I think it's a unique challenge in the mobile phone and gestural based uh, interaction environment for phones, but it's no reason to not think about it and not make these, you know, make these really expensive gadgets that all of us have, or the majority of people have very simple to use and get around in. Um, and again, we, we go on to this same point of using beautiful UIs or visual elements that that don't really convey the meaning that they need to or don't 
actually serve the functional purpose that you would want them to. And in some cases, they're so visually simplistic, they're actually less usable than other ways of presenting information. So sometimes it comes in like those awesome looking fonts that may look good, but may just not be that readable for people with lower vision or people with regular vision. Um, and especially some of these, like there's been a good bit of research done with some of these minimal UIs and the problems that they can bring uh, in terms of usability. So it's just a, a point to, that I would encourage people to always go back to about definitely understand that building something that's gorgeous looking is awesome. Um, and I admire companies that build a product that looks amazing, but at the same time, it's got to be functional. It's got to solve a problem for somebody being good looking is not simply enough. And I, I, th I really think that's the theme from both this Don Norman article. And he goes on, for days about problems with some of their design um, from controls and then also how Google follows it. But I really think that Don Norman and uh, Alan Cooper are hitting on the same deal here that as UX designers, uh, the part of the major part of our job is that we have to just design experiences that people can learn to use and make sure that all of the elements on the page or on the app or in your service or the interactions between people in a, or in a developed organization really serve an actual purpose, and they're not just good-looking for the sake of being good-looking. All right, guys. You know, I think that's about all the time that I have for this first UX Rand podcast. I do want to close the show with some community resources. So if you're looking to learn more about user experience design, I really encourage you to hop into Slack if you don't already have an account and join the UX designer hangout, or I think it's just called the designer hangout. So just look, search for on Twitter. You can find designer hangout, or uh, I think they have a website or they're standing one up soon. One of the two look for the designer hangout, join that Slack. There is a worldwide group of people that are willing to talk about issues in user experience or in UI design all of those kinds of things. It's a great community, great resource. Um, so I have been your host, Blake Arnsdorf. Thank you for all of you that listen to this podcast. I hope to keep doing them every week on Fridays to break down all of the UX happenings every week. So my name again is Blake Arnsdorf, and you can find me on Twitter at Don't Panic UX. Or if you're feeling really froggy, you can also search for me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to send me a message or connect with me. I'd love to talk to any of you guys, uh, but you can find me on LinkedIn through the Arnsdorf. So check out my last name. You can figure it out. Anyway, next time, next time I'd like to bring in some questions from the community. So if you guys have anything that you want to want me to talk about or there you're interested in that has to do with user experience design or development or leadership or any of that that has to do with, you know, having a job in tech please hit me up on Twitter again at don't panic UX with the hashtag UX rant pod. That's UX rant P O D. You guys have been awesome. If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment. I read them all and I will talk to you next time. All right, guys later. <laughs>